What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday morning, April 20th. Since I'm recording in the morning, I'll be substituting my usual beers for a black coffee. We have a lot to talk about, including another guest. So let's talk some Minnesota sports. All right, we are now welcomed on by one of my good friends, David Weiner. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing okay. I'm doing. I could do a little better after last night's game, but yeah, I did want to open up and talk about that game briefly. Um, I think where it went wrong, obviously, all the whistles that were going on, I think that really killed the momentum, the flow of the game, and then all those whistles ended up causing Stephen Adams to get into foul trouble, which ended up leaving the Wolves to get, or Cat had to get guarded by a smaller player, which we've seen with the Clippers series for that playing game. I mean, it's not the best matchup for him. So getting Stephen Adams out of the game ended up screwing the Timberwolves over more so than benefiting them. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel like, honestly, the moment we even started the game, it just kind of hit the fan. I mean, Pat Bev, I love Pat Bev. I love his energy every night. But I feel like doing that unnecessary technical to open it up, you're getting the fans engaged, and they already hate you. And then, I mean, I feel like what Cat did in game one, which was just like, yes, be aggressive, but calm down. We still have all game. Why why is Cat trying to just – put his hip right into the middle so he can't get through. I mean, that's a clear, clearly a foul. You And right away, just foul one. Like, whistle, whistle, whistle. It just started off really, really bad on our end. And it ended up costing us the game, in my opinion. Like, even when we were right there, it cost us the game. Yeah. I yeah, feel like, that start of Patrick Beverly getting the tech kind of, that like just instilled like fire into like the Grizzlies, and I didn't really feel like the fans were that into it. And I think getting them on their side after that technical, just like that's kind of where it went wrong. And the whole cat fouling, he doesn't really have the awareness to understand what he's doing wrong. And that's still like for as great as he's been all year, and he's been he's taken to his, his game to a different level. His fouling has gotten like to the point where he just doesn't get it. I mean, did you, I don't know if you saw the quote of his thing after he kicked out. I, his kick out is – that's, like, the one thing that really gets me going on his whole thing because he doesn't have the awareness to understand that you're not supposed to kick out. But essentially he yeah. said that he's he won the three-point contest by doing it, so he's not going to change the way he shoots. But he gets called for, I think, like a leg kick out more than anyone in the league. Yeah, and it's it's to the point where it's like, dude, are you watching film? Like, do you not understand? Like, they're not going to change the rules for you. You're not Chris Paul. You're not LeBron James, you know? Well, I mean, I think Cat's pretty good, but before he got that third All-Star, I was being pretty hard on him. I was like, dude, you're like Carlos Boozer who can shoot. Like, that's kind of how I would compare to him at that point. And even though that's wrong – He's way better than Boozer. He's obviously more skilled. It's just like, dude, that's just the way they see you in the league. They don't see you as a top 10 player. They see you as maybe top 15, but for sure top 20. Possibly even out of the 20 and be top 25. You're not going to get calls like that. But I don't think Cat was necessarily the problem. I think, I think D'Angelo Russell needs to play better, like just straight up needs to play better. I don't know what he thinks he's doing sometimes. Like that that one three where he made it somehow somehow and looking for a foul, it's like, dude, what are you doing? Like, thank God you made it, but man, that like that just is gonna cost us games. And also one thing that was bothering me is Cat's at the top of the key wide open. I know we want to see him down low more so he can play to his strength, which is like, dude, you're seven foot and they're all small, like put in the basket. But let's not act like he can't get the ball at the top of the key. And I just saw too many times where 
players like D'Lo, players like Jaden, even Pat Bev, too. It was like, cats wide open at the top of the key. Just give it to the guy, man. Feed him the bucket. Feed him the rock. Like, do something to get Cat's three-point engaged. Because if Cat can start hitting that shot, we win the game, like, 80% of the time. Yeah, the whole the whole flow of the game wasn't really they go down, they'd shoot they shoot a, their shot like within five, ten seconds of the shot clock. They're just settling too much. And the whole point of like the D'Angelo Russell thing, he's been really bad. I mean, you're talking he's five for twenty two in the first two games of the series. Which And let's not act I like mean, he wasn't You're you're expecting I mean he brought you he he helped to he was a probably the MVP maybe not of the Clippers game, him and Ant, I guess. But D'Angelo Russell's oh. like calming presence in that Clippers game was kind of the key. And I mean, you're expecting him to hit 30, 40, maybe one of these games, but it's not looking very well. No, the thing that you got to remember that before that Clippers game, D'Lo kind of had a problem. Like he went. I remember specifically, and I bet you remember it too. I don't know. I feel like it had to have been like maybe early March, late February, where he just went on a crazy skid. Like he was hitting every shot, and I was like, he's about to get hot. But after that, for like a month, he just went completely dry, just completely cold. And even in the games, we could have been a six seed, like if he would have even just turned his game up a little bit. And that Clippers game was obviously awesome to see him do, but he's very inconsistent. He just doesn't do that, like, all the time. And that's where it kind of makes me feel like, is he the right guard for this team going forward? We need consistency at that spot. Yeah, and I I think he is maybe the answer. I'm I'm still kind of wondering that as well, just based – I think a lot of it has to do with contract. I don't, I'm kind of nervous about giving him a lot of money, but he has been a huge like key to Minnesota's success and how he's he has when he's out of the game. Minnesota just they do not know what they're doing. He has sort of like a calming presence and just to control of the game. The way he finds the open man and his defense has gotten a lot better when he was playing free safety there. I mean, I still like where he's at I guess but that whole stretch yeah. of where he did struggle a ton I mean that was where Cat was just feasting all I mean he essentially locked up all NBA during that stretch where Ant and D'Lo were kind of shitting the bed do you think we should move Beasley to the starting lineup yeah no I definitely do I think Vanderbilt I love him but I don't really feel like it's working in this Memphis series. So I think yeah. you're almost better off moving Beasley to that starting lineup. And I think it'll space the floor more. I think he he's just brought a different edge to him this last month, two months or so. He's just like he's been a different player the second half of the season. I think once he kind of figured out his role, got his feet under him, kind of got that cardio in shape kind of back into that form. That's when he really started to get into what we saw that 2020 season. And I think for this series, maybe I think that's what you have to do. I agree. I feel like Beasley has really shown that he wants to stay in Minnesota. Like he can raise his game if need be. He opened up the game, hitting the three and we needed that three. It put us up two. We're up 23 to 21 with them. He's been hitting great shots. I think Terry, I think we got to go with the hot hand almost. I feel like like I love Bando, but this isn't his matchup. I almost feel like not even putting Jaden in, like maybe starting Prince because Prince has also elevated his game crazy too. And I feel like, you know, I don't think Prince is an everyday starter. I think Beasley could easily become an everyday starter. But I just feel like for this matchup, Prince would maybe be the veteran move that we would need. And that way Vando and Jaden could get more time to both play together where I, I would love to see Vando at the five. He's, he's like, honestly, if he got a little bit bigger, he'd be a really good five in today's league. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think you could come out, you could have him come off the bench with Nas playing alongside of him. He can, Nas can space the floor. 
and you're right about the whole Torian Prince, McDaniels, and Beasley. All three of those guys can start for you if you need them to. And I mean, for I mean, really, though, Prince and Beasley are kind of those two interchangeable guys where you're kind of looking at it like maybe we need a stretch four, kind of smaller body. And Prince brings that for you. And Beasley gives you that shooting guard, three-point success. I mean, those two are going to probably be the guys that Chris Finch looks to to insert into that starting lineup. I kind of almost think that Vanderbilt might not start this next game. I'd be kind of surprised he if he does. But I do agree, though. Yeah, no, I agree, I too. Like, I think Vanderbilt's kind of showing more that he's a better five. I feel like Finch doesn't want to tinker with the lineup as much as we want him to, though. I feel like he's probably going to think one game doesn't define us, but it is playoff basketball. Like, you got to be able to adjust. And I love Finch. I think Finch is going to be I – think, I think Finch is learning – to coach in this league like be a head coach just as much as our players are learning to play like that's how young of a team we are even our coach like is fairly like he's not new because he's obviously been around the league but this is kind of his first time really taking control and putting what he knows into these games and I mean it's like you can tell sometimes like I just don't think having McLaughlin in for five plus minutes during a stunt when Tyus Jones and Hey, I love Tyus Jones, Minnesota native, but he should not be doing anything on us. He's not that good. We got to put Pat Bev on him because Tyus can't do anything when Pat Bev or D'Lo are on him. Yeah. And the whole starting lineup too. I in in the years past we saw Minnesota tinker with their starting lineup almost like every other game and this year I don't know the stat but I bet you they might be the one team or top five of like the most starting five starting in games this year I mean, it was, it's easily over like sixty plus oh yeah we I mean I don't know I I feel like Cat won't ever play the four. I feel like he's just not the type of guy where he's going to do that. He's, I mean, we, I feel like they've definitely talked to Cat about possibly putting him at the four and trying something new, but I just don't think he's going to do that either. And what bothers me is, like, that's a mismatch every night if Cat's at the four, every single night. And so, and I mean, go, I mean, the Lakers won – two seasons ago just being big like if we if we had one more rebounder I don't think Memphis would know what to do yeah and the rebounding is a key part in this whole thing because Memphis is one of the best rebounding teams I think the other day when I looked it up they're number one in total rebounds they're top five in offense offensive I'd have to like double check that but that's the other key and I mean Cat essentially plays the four offensively and Vando plays the five on offense because he plays in that dunker's role where he's kind of off to the side and he's getting covered by fives and Cat's getting covered by fours. I mean, if we had more size, that was kind of the issue at the trade deadline that we wanted, and that's kind of the whole point of bringing in Greg Monroe. But I don't know if bringing Greg Monroe in now is necessarily the best option. I think you got to keep rolling with Nazareed and hope that maybe yeah. what he did – to end the game is kind of what we'll see game three and four. Yeah, I think – I also think Nas doesn't really have that smart of an IQ sometimes. I don't know. Like, I also think Nas needs to be a better rebounder because, I mean, dude, there's people jumping over him and he can't even get those rebounds sometimes. And it's just – it's frustrating to watch. It's pretty frustrating. Yeah, I mean, he's not a great rebounder, and I'm looking it up right now. Memphis is six in offensive rebounds. They're number nine in defensive and total rebounds. Oh, this so, is like, they're, they're probably, like, more like the seven, eight, the eighth best rebounding team. Yeah, for regular season, offensive rebounds are number one. Defensive rebounds are number eight, but total rebounds are number one. So they're number one in offensive and total rebounds. 
which is like a nightmare for Minnesota essentially because they don't rebound, even though they still match up oddly enough really well against each other. And we saw that all regular season, even though they play completely different styles where Minnesota's trying to get up threes and get in transition and Memphis is they're not trying to shoot threes and Minnesota's whole defensive scheme is to make other teams shoot a lot of threes and that's just not Memphis. Yeah. And John Morant is really good at he's just so good at getting to the rim. It's just impossible sometimes to stop. I'm sitting there like, wow and I think yeah, and I think we need to put Ant on him like the whole game because I feel like Ant's the only one who can kind of just stop him in any type of way. Yeah, no, that's a good point, though, because we saw it with Ant guarded Luka and everything in those series, um, in those games in the regular season, and he did really well. I think Ant might be that guy you look to stop him. I, I think, I don't know, Patrick Beverly is great as defensively as he is. I think sometimes that job matchup, he gets a little too into the whole idea of, like, let's play, like, let's get in his head, let's mess with him a little bit, and I think maybe playing off of that and putting him on someone else. I don't know who would be that best matchup if it's Desmond Bain or Dylan Brooks, but I do think that Ann maybe playing off of on Ja Morant is the best move. Yeah, I think I think Ja's just too fast for Pat Bev. That's just all I got about it. Like Pat Bev, I think he's quick, but Ja is so fast, and I feel like the only person who can actually keep up with him is Ant. But then it's like, who's Pat? Yeah, Pat Bev could guard somebody else, but it's like they have the size advantage there then. Yeah, and I know you wanted to hammer home on this Patrick Beverly trade thing, and I do agree that it's got to be one in the last five, ten years, it's got to be one of the most – we fleeced Memphis Grizzlies, the Memphis Grizzlies. We essentially got rid yeah. of Jared Culver and Juancho Erna Gomez for Pat Bev. I don't know what Memphis saw that they were like, okay, we don't want Pat Bev, but they messed up on that move by just giving it. It was like, if you said you could trade Jared Culver and Wancho Erna Gomez, I would assume you're just getting rid of them and taking on like a huge contract and just saying, screw it. But you got to like yeah. a difference maker. And he's, I would say Patrick Beverly is the MVP of this season. Definitely the MVP of the season. He completely turned us around. If I feel like we wouldn't be a playoff team if we didn't have Pat Bev. I feel like he just brought. I think we'd be at that San Antonio mindset. stage. Yeah. You're yeah, right and about I think that. we'd be at that San Antonio 10, 9, kind of like maybe five, six games under 500, or maybe just around yeah. that 500. We definitely wouldn't be 10 games over 500 like we were, but he is the. He's completely transcended his franchise, and I know I tweeted jokingly, but he should get his jersey retired almost. <laughs> he should. It's ridiculous. Like, if we if we spend the next couple years just being a playoff team, like, that's all due to Pat Bev. And I feel like it doesn't – it no, just didn't sure. make sense for Memphis. Like, it didn't make sense because it's like, why are you trading Pat Bev, who's just a – a very solid starter, like bench player in this league, a solid defensive player. He he plays the game the way you guys play it, and you let him go for Jarrett Culver and Hernan Gomez, who <laughs> they're going to be playing in yeah, Spain. Yeah, they tried playing Jarrett like, Culver right years. away. No, because yeah, Jared and Culver's ESPN bad. at the beginning of that trade were like, I don't get that. They didn't, they didn't get the trade. And I was like, how are you an ESPN reporter, but you don't understand that Patrick Beverly is – if you watch Minnesota games, you know that Jared Culver is bad. And I like – he seems like a great guy, but honestly, he just wasn't the fit. And, I, and that first preseason couple games in his rookie season where he was dropping like 15, 8, and 6, I was like, holy shit, this guy is going to be good. And you watch him at that, at that Texas Tech when he went to the Final Four in Minnesota, and it was like, okay – this is the guy. This is our next small forward. And he just wasn't it. And I can't believe we even got Patrick Beverly out of that. At the end of the day, I think I think Jarrett Culver definitely like 
I, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh, he doesn't work for it. We don't know what he's doing. He probably works hard, but, like, I feel like his game yeah. just didn't transfer to the NBA. You can't shoot. You can't even hit free throws. Like, you're – like, I mean, look at Westbrook. Westbrook, he can't hit free throws. He can't shoot. And he's going to be run out of the league soon. It's Russell Westbrook. Like, he used to be a star. And so – I feel like, I I don't know, I feel like it's just, yeah, you know, maybe Memphis saw something like, hey, he plays defense, like he, he, we could try and develop his shot a little better and teach him some things, but, you know, at the end of the day, he's just not good at basketball, like he's just not a good NBA player. Yeah, and I want to hear your take, you wanted to go over some like the Grizzlies defense and how... How do you think Minnesota can find a way to expose it? Well, I mean, the one thing that just I saw yesterday is if you like we we had the advantage, man. Stephen Adams. E- either way, I thought we had the advantage. Stephen Adams is slow. Cat can cat for years, even in the Oklahoma City days. Like I went to a couple games when Cat was a second year third year player and he would expose Steven Adams even as a rookie and it just showed like cats pretty quick he can't I don't think he can I don't think Steven Adams can actually full-on utilize what he's good at against cat and I think I think his flagrant yesterday where he just smacked Vando in the face was just funny but it was like if you think about it <laughs> we should have taken advantage of that we should have because now you're putting now yeah, but he only played two minutes, advantage. and that's the issue. And I don't know if. No, yeah, he didn't. He only played he only two played minutes, two and that's minutes. the issue. And I don't know if I'd be shocked if Memphis went with Stephen Adams to either even play or just start in general. Yeah, and he's a pretty selfless guy. I think he wants to win, and I feel like he like I feel like he almost took himself out of the game because he saw like and like you said like. When Cat gets quick guys, like, who play small on him and they just get in his face, like, he panics. Like, I've never seen a – like a – I mean, granted, Cat's in, like, his seventh season, but being out for as much as he was the past two seasons, it feels like season five and a half, basically, right now. But either way, like, dude, you're a three-time All-Star. You got you to gotta utilize that and you got to – you got to get your buckets, man. But the one thing is, I think they understand that Cat is not like any of these stars. Like, Cat tries to force things. Cat doesn't let the game really come to him. And I think that's where the defense sees that and they lock in on it. Like, it's pretty easy to lock in on Cat because when you put two guys in his face, man, does he panic. Oh, he panics hard. And at the end of the day, Cat needs to recognize that defense, and he needs to be better on. He needs to be better at seeing that, and he needs to be better at just being. He because even when Cat's on the floor, he's a force to be reckoned with, just in the distraction that you have. Because if you can get the ball to Ant, if you can get the ball to Jaden Beasley, D, if D'Lo can make some shots. That might lead the defense away from Cat, and boom, there you go. That's your moment to attack. Yeah, I mean, it just depends on the whole matchup itself, though. Because we saw, I think the beginning of it was Utah, I believe, started it. And Utah and the Clippers were kind of the two teams that are, they've figured out how to play Cat in that sense. And it, it depends on who the four is, I guess. It's not every single, we've seen them, like, abuse those smaller matchups. But, I, I mean, even if they guarded him with Jaron Jackson Jr., he's... I have to look it up, but I believe Jaron Jackson's – he's got to be top five, top ten in fouls committed. So you could easily yeah. get him out of the game if you put him on Cat. <clears throat> and if you put him on Brandon Clark, I like Brandon Clark's, like, shot-blocking game and his athletic ability, but I don't really feel like – I think Cat could easily abuse that matchup, and I don't really think it's that close. And the whole no. thing, is, too, though, if he kicks out, which he's done really well at, he, Minnesota has to hit the shots. They shot what a twenty five percent last year from three. 
I mean, not last year, but the last game from three. If they're hitting those shots, it's a completely different game as well. I agree. At the end of the day, we weren't hitting the shots. Ant wasn't. Ant felt it felt like he was trying to force some things too, force some shots, force some dribble moves, and I just feel like I think the problem is Memphis is very physical, and I think I mean we can acknowledge it. The officiating's a little weird, man. Like, I don't know, man. Like, the officiating lately has just been fairly obvious in some of the things they're calling. Like, we could just get leveled. Cat could get nearly poked in the eye like he did yesterday. We go down, we we barely touch somebody. Like, Vandal might act like – it's almost like Vandal's trying to set himself up in position, and he'll kind of, like – He'll, I mean, he's got long arms. He'll maybe accidentally brush the backside of someone's jersey, and it's immediate whistle. And it's just – there's not a whole lot you can do sometimes when you're not really getting also the calls that you feel like you should be getting. I mean, I feel like if we get yeah. four or five calls, we – it's a, what, six to eight, eight-point game, probably in the middle of the third instead of being down 20. Yeah, and sometimes we see it with Minnesota where if they're not getting the calls, they let that affect them, and they completely take themselves out of the game. And in that first game, I thought maybe Minnesota got the better end of the whistles, except for, I mean, John Morant getting, what was it, 20 free throws? That was kind of BS. That's the only part where I think Memphis really got their calls. But for the most part, we saw, like, who I don't know who, who stepped out of bounds, but Minnesota definitely stepped out of bounds in that one play. And... Mm-hmm. But this second game is where it really went wrong, referee wise. And Minnesota got the the Memphis got the better end of the stick on that one in that second game. But even if you think about it, like if Memphis did what we did in game one, where like which they have, you know, they have gotten their they've gotten their calls pretty handedly from the refs, but you know, how we stepped out of bounds. If Memphis did that, oh, man, well, we we would let that bother us. Like, that's the thing. Memphis just went back to playing basketball. And, I mean, even though we got the better of them that game, I mean, you see it. I mean, I'm just sick of seeing Cat having to plead his case every time. Like, every time he goes down low or he feels like he gets hacked, he has to, like, let someone know about it. It's like his ego is telling him, like, no, there's – I would have made that bucket, you know, like if they weren't smacking the hell out of me. It's just like, dude, at the end of the day, just play basketball, man. Just go play basketball. Worry about it later. Like, try and make up for it. Yeah, I mean, to his credit, though, he has, I think, shown a lot of maturity in that sense this year. It's still not good by any means, but he's definitely not like Luca anymore where those two are just going – neck and neck for who's the worst at complaining about calls. But, I mean, he's he showed a lot of maturity, but there are times where he almost removes himself from the game by making these sort of getting too emotional about things, and then those emotional things lead to another foul. And then the fouls, like we talked about before, he just doesn't – he doesn't understand sometimes where you did this two games ago, it's still a foul this game. Yeah, it doesn't matter if it's a different officiating crew. Like, a foul is a foul. And, you know, yeah, some some other players might get it, and I get it. You might think that, you know, I'm, I'm just as good as this player. But, you know, it, you play for a Minnesota team, man. Like, it's not like you're in New York. It's not like you're in L.A. or Chicago. Like, we're a small market team. We're not going to get as many calls as some other teams might get. And I'm not going to discredit the Grizzlies' defense. I think they play, like, really physical defense, and that's why they can get away with some of the stuff that they do. It's because when you're known for being physical like that, I mean, people are going to expect you to be, you know, checking up with your hands. They use their hands a lot. They're like, And the thing is, they're good at it. But, like, yes, everybody's going to occasionally commit a foul. I think, you know – Minnesota, 
needs to stick to their game. Like, we need to stick to our game. We can't be doing what Memphis is doing and thinking we're going to get away with that. That's not our game. They're not going to they're not going to let us do that. No, for sure. And that's kind of the other key to it is sometimes when they aren't getting their way, they try to almost go into what the other team is trying to make them to do. And what we've seen all year is I'm Kat said it last night in his press conference. Like you just got to go back to Timberwolves basketball. That's the key. You can't keep, you got to go back to hitting the open threes, feeding Cat, and I mean, I think Ant is almost, he's going to, if the Wolves win this series, it's because Anthony Edwards pushes them over the edge. Like, we know what Cat's going to do. He should go back. I don't think he's going to put up another 15-point game. That's just not Cat in general. Mm-hmm. But if Ant can get those 30-point, 40-point games where he's shooting over 50%, it's the, the game's over at that point. I agree. I think I think Ant forced it to start. I still think he was there to win because, I mean, there was a time where I, I think we were down, like, I don't know if we were down eight. Or it was the first three he made, the first bucket he made. But, like, we needed that bucket, and he got it. I mean, it shows, like, Ant knows the situation, but – I just feel like he was forcing up shots. And, I mean, that's just momentum from everybody talking about you, you know. Like, everybody's con- everybody's like, this is the new young star. He's going to put yeah. John in place. So, I mean, I, I feel like the emotions kind of got to him. And I feel like Ant was like, oh, I need to play better. Like, even though you got 20, I don't know. You got like, I turned the game off halfway through the fourth because I was just really upset. But – I know at the time he had, like, 20 points. And it's just like, dude, you didn't even play that good of a game and you got 20 points. Like, if you can just be efficient, we we will do big things. Like, and like I said before, D'Lo has been – D'Lo and Nas – Nas Reed, I thought, like, didn't have that bad of a game. But D'Lo and Nas just aren't playing that well. That's – at the end of the day, D'Lo – Yeah, and like, that goes – He's not playing well. No, for sure. And, I mean, there's no chance. It's almost like a 5% chance. You probably have a better chance of winning the lottery. There's no way that you're getting let's do some quick, 46 points from your big three. Like, that just doesn't happen. You, that's, you can get 46 easily from one of them in a given night. And there's, I mean, it's like a zero, 0 to 5% chance that actually happens again. Next game with target center kind of going crazy. I almost expect Anthony Edwards to hit 30, 35, and I don't feel – I feel pretty confident, man. I'm, I'm probably going to bet the over on Anthony Edwards in game three solely based not, on not how a bad bet. it's going to be at a bad game. No, for sure. Like, I think there's no way that – I mean, you got from your starters 46 plus – 53 from your starters. That's like a bench unit. Coming in, that's like a one of like that's like a yeah. top bench in the NBA, and you got fifty three from your starters. Yeah, it's unacceptable, man. And we see it all the time. I mean, we see it from. I feel like the thing that sucks is I don't want to stick to that narrative that Cat hides sometimes when he like when we need him the most. Sometimes he hides, but I mean, you look at that. Houston Rockets series, you look at the Clippers game, you and now you look at that Memphis game we just played, like, it comes to the point, like, Cat got bailed out in that Clippers game. He, I mean, he wasn't nearly as bad as he was in that Clippers game, but he wasn't, he didn't play Carl Anthony Towns basketball, man. Like, it, it almost feels sometimes like the moment. Yeah might be a little too big for him sometimes. And I feel like he doesn't have a lot of experience, though, so he just needs to figure it out. But, I mean, I as much as I give Cat a ton of crap, like, I want him to win. And the reason why I'm giving him crap on, like, on Twitter all season or DMing him on Instagram, it's because, dude, like, we know who – like, we've I've seen you drop 38 and 18 with ease, man. Like, I've, and I just feel like he's not letting the game come to him. But also, it's like 
we need to start swinging it. Like, let everybody touch the ball and feel like they're involved. I feel like once you start swinging it, once you start, you know, letting Cat run some plays, and I feel like we were running, we were being very too fast. Like, we were just one pass, take a shot, one pass, take a shot. Looked like we've never played basketball together. It looked like they were playing at lifetime down the They were street. settling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. No, I'm, it is harder for a center to kind of depict the way the game goes, and it's a lot easier for guards, and that's why I say that Anthony Edwards is kind of that key to winning the series, but you don't see it really with Joel Embiid and Nicole Jokic. Like those, that's what separates those two from Cat. No matter what they're getting thrown at, they're going to play the same way every single game, and that's kind of like the next step. And I know that the playoffs, you're playing them every single game, so they're going to find ways to take you out of it in a way. But I mean, if you look at Denver, they don't really have any surrounding pieces, and Jokic just continues to keep playing his style and it doesn't really matter. And that's kind of for as much as Cat has taken that next couple steps, finding a way to continue to play his game every single night, that's going to be the next step. And I'm hoping that over these next couple games in, the, in round one, maybe round two, that we see, we see that kind of next step for next season, kind of go in with more confidence. Yeah. I think, I think just like, I think Embiid is really strong. I think Jokic is really, really smart. I think Cat is really, really skilled. I think that's the difference between the three. And Cat needs to utilize that skill. You need, like, we saw what he did game one. He He's like the only center that can just go from the top of the key and just get to the rim like I and he can't do that Jokic can't do that like they're great players but they just they can't do what Cat can do skill wise but unfortunately I don't think his IQ is quite there and I I I think it is if I mean if you're if you're Brandon Clark if you're uh uh Jared Jackson Jr. I think they're stronger than him. That's just, at the end of the day, they, they're stronger than him, and they know that Cat does not like physicality. you got to be able to embrace that physicality, and you got to be able to, you know, I think Cat needs to flop a little more. I mean, look at LeBron. Everybody made fun of LeBron for flopping, but, I mean, it works. Like, you do need to flop a little more. You need to sell it. You need to be an actor. Like, dude, they're hitting you. Go, oh, like what? What is he doing to me? You know what I'm saying? I I feel like Cat's ego won't let him do that sometimes. Yeah. Like he won't just flop. Yeah, I don't know if he's. I don't think they're maybe stronger than Cat, but they. It just depends on what they're giving them, and sometimes. I mean, Memphis is a great defensive team, and they know how to. They know how to find ways to get in Cat's side, and that's usually kind of what we've seen. He just he's gotten more aggressive in the sense where he will his free throw rate has gone up. We've seen that. And that's gonna be kind of a another deciding factor. Getting the Grizzlies in foul trouble. Not Steven Adams, because we don't want that, but getting Jaron Jackson in foul trouble, getting Brandon Clark in trouble, that's gonna be huge. Cause then you get Steven Adams on that matchup, maybe. And I thought mm-hmm. Xavier Tillman also played really well last night, and that's also gonna be another player that I thought they should have used earlier, but he's going to be another guy we have to watch out for in game three and four at home. I agree. They're they're just physical, and besides Steven Adams, they're fast. And the thing is, though, we're basically the same team. We're pretty physical. I think we're faster than them. I think we're, I think we're the more talented team, but I just feel like they have a better chemistry right now because I feel like they've played together longer. That's that's kind of where their benefit is. Yeah. They've played together a lot longer. Yeah, and, and Richard Jefferson said that, he said in the Woj pod where John Morant is the number one player in the series. I don't really feel like that's in question. But Minnesota has arguably the next three in Cat, Ant, and D'Lo. I don't know if I'd throw D'Lo ahead of maybe 
Desmond Bain. But I think you could have an argument depending on the day because Dilo could go easily off for 40 points. We've seen what he can do in Brooklyn, what he's done for Minnesota this season. It just depends. Those kind of, those guys are definitely interchangeable. But Minnesota, you could make the case that they have more talent. It's just Memphis plays better. Yeah, and I mean... The and they're deeper, cheesy. but the depth doesn't matter in playoffs. Yeah. It's cheesy, but Kevin Durant was the one who was like, talent something, talent doesn't work hard. I don't know the full quote, but hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Like, I get it. I mean, like, it's cheesy, but it's true. Like, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you're not going to use that talent to your advantage and get the chemistry right, and if you're just chucking up random shots, nobody – you're not going to win. We look like We looked like a pickup basketball team. For sure. There was no chemistry. There's nothing. But what is your predictions then for the next two games at home? Uh, I think no matter what, Target Center is going to be rocking. We haven't had a split. When was the last time our series was, like, split for anything? Probably, like, 04, maybe 05. Yeah, it was 2-1 at that at the end of game three against Houston. And Minnesota, yeah. it was a game five. It was five games. So, I mean, that was – it had to be back then. I mean, I don't remember. No, no, I don't – yeah, we were that, pretty but. young. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, Target Center yeah. is going to be rocking. I feel like Ant loves it when it's like that. I feel like Ant knows he needs to play better. D'Lo definitely knows he needs to play better. I think – I like game three. I think we I think we go in and we we win game 3 and it's not going to be a shocking win. I feel like people know that we can win especially at home. We already showed it. We did we got our mission done. At the end of the day, we wanted to at least split one, get one in Memphis. Getting two would have been great, but that's a tough task to do. I don't think a lot of teams can just go in and do that. And especially now with Devin Booker being hurt. He's out indefinitely. I don't know if you saw that, but he's out indefinitely right now. I just don't know yeah. what team could go the do that games. right now. Yep. I feel like game three, I feel like game three, we're going to get a win. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Game four, though, man, like the thing about the Timberwolves is can they win two in a row to this team? Yeah, and that's kind of the question. And I talked about this on my preview pod before the season, the series started, and they could have easily gone four and all. I thought if they both games, they blew that. The first one, they blew that sixteen point lead, whatever it was, was seven minutes. Uh, the other one that they lost was didn't the game was going neck and neck till the very end. I think the last minute, Memphis kind of pulled ahead, but they could easily mm-hmm. have been four and all against this team. And that's you're talking about. But even in the regular season, then they've won every other game. I think you go into – I think Memphis – I think game five, it'll be a 2-2 split. I think that game three, they win. The only thing that makes me nervous is, like, the crowd getting the best of them where we kind of saw that a little bit with the Clipper game where they got a little too anxious with everything and they're getting – they're beating off the fans almost too much in a sense yep. where it almost backfired. And I thought maybe – once things kind of calm down a little bit, I think they'll be okay. But, yeah, going into game five, I think it's a 2-2 split. I do, too. And from there, who even knows? It's anyone's guess. Yeah, it's, at that yeah, point, it's, it's I mean, a 2-2 if you, split. Yeah. And what is the, what is the saying? Or it's If you can take one on the road at – in a playoff series, you're basically, at least statistically, you're proven to probably win the series. Yeah. I Like, Stephen A. Smith had a good point. You know, like, we could have been up 2-0. And, you know, I have we've, – we've watched a lot of teams come back from 2-0. Like, OKC beat the Spurs and to go to the finals. They were down 2-0. I mean – Bucks literally were down 2-0 in the finals last year. Same against – they were the same way against Brooklyn. Uh, I think just 
at the end of the day, Memphis only has John Morant. I don't know. I don't trust anyone else on that team to really lead them and win those games. I'm just, I feel like, I feel like if we if we can win game three, and I'm more concerned about game three, I feel like game four would be a lot of pressure to be down two to one, but we do play well when we need to. When we've had to win games this season, we've won them. For the most part, we've won them. And I feel like if we play, if we can play game three well, I feel like, man, we could go up three to one. Like, but I feel like game three just, is the indicator like you gotta win that game? You have to. Yeah, and beyond the first ten games, we haven't really seen this Timberwolves team allow a stretch to really snowball affect them, where they lose a couple and they're like, "Oh crap!" Like now, let's just let this affect us. But they they go out and they pick up big wins. We've seen that this last half of the season. They're a different team in that sense. I I was just a little. A little discouraged with the way game two went. I think if it was a little closer, they showed a little more fight and heart. That'd be like, okay, game three is probably going our way. But that that was a really discouraging game. Yeah. And Memphis, that's the thing too. Memphis might be pretty dang comfortable right now. And they might just be like, we're just going to play our game, you know. And I don't think we need... I feel like we got to go in there immediately and punch him in the mouth, but not punch him in the mouth like how we were trying to yesterday. We just need to play basketball. At the end of the day, if, just put the dang ball in the hoop. Don't worry about them fouling you. Don't worry about them doing whatever they're trying to do to you. Just play your game. Yeah, and I agree. And I know it was kind of more of a game two talk, but that's kind of what's fresh in our minds. We knew what game one was. It was a great game. Minnesota controlled it all, but game three will be fun. That's tomorrow night. I guess it'll be coming out. It's probably coming out Thursday afternoon, so it'll be coming out. So, I guess, what am I trying to say? Tonight? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess tonight. Yeah, so it'll be coming out. Yeah, I always do that too when I send out like a, like a schedule I'll tweet and I write out tomorrow night and it's supposed to come out tomorrow i'm like shit hey, yeah i appreciate you coming on though. it was fun talking basketball oh yeah always a good time um anytime to talk about the wolves anytime to talk minnesota sports always always a good time hopefully we can get it done all right let's transition to the twins and vikings but i'd like to start things off with the baseball as of Wednesday morning, where I'm, when I'm recording this, the Twins are 4-7 and seven and last in the AL Central. But the question becomes, should we be disappointed? I think the answer is yes and no. As much as we'd love to see a better record, and quite frankly, they should be more close to 500. I think they should be at least, I don't know, 5-6. and six. I think that's realistic. As much as you'd like to see that, the Twins have done a pretty good job given the circumstances. Obviously, losing to the Royals last night was a killer, especially when you had the lead. But the other teams they played were the Seattle Mariners, the Los Angeles Dodgers, the Bo- and the Boston Red Sox. Last season, Seattle won 90 games. The Dodgers won 106, and they're arguably the best team in baseball, and I don't really feel like it's that much of a debate. And the Red Sox won 92 games last year. For most of the season, not most of the season, but they've been dealing with injuries for since the season even started. They've lost Sonny Gray. Alex Kirilov is out. And Byron Buxton, their best player, has been out with that knee injury, which we thought could have been a lot more serious. But you're talking about going into that Red Sox series, losing your best player, and still coming out 2-2. Two two. Now, they should, become, they should be coming back. I think Sonny Gray should at least miss... At the very, at the most, he should miss one start. And Alex Kirilov looks like he should be back soon. Betsy Health, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Betsy, but Betsy Helfand of Pioneer Press tweeted out yesterday saying, Alex Kirilov has rejoined the Twins after getting a cortisone shot in his wrist last week. Rocco Baldelli said he was going to start taking some swings and participating in other activities. In a quote, I'm glad he's going to start moving around and start feeling like a baseball player again. Which is good news. As much as Trevor Larnick has looked pretty good, 
in that Boston series. I think I tweeted out he had a sack fly. He had a three-hit game one game, and then the other one was a key RBI late in the game. He's He's been playing well, but Alex Kirloff is a better player than Trevor Larnick as of right now. I like both players' trajectory, but if I'm being honest, I think Kirloff has a better potential over Trevor Larnick. So getting him back will be key. And I think we should probably see Sonny Gray, Byron Buxton, and even Alex Kirloff in the next couple games, maybe next series. But as early as this series against the Royals. I mean, you think about the players that have been playing. They've been rolling out like Hilberto Celestino, Nick Gordon, Kyle Garlick. And sure, they've played well, and there's no, I have nothing against those players. They're just... They're not Kirilov. They're not Buxton. They're just not players that you feel confident going into a game with. Nick Gordon is a great utility player. He can step in wherever, and I'd like to see him get some more play playing time, but it's you just rather have Buxton in center field. He's gonna be he's gonna increase your win potential a lot higher than he will than Nick Gordon would have. Alright, so let's talk about the starting rotation. They've been playing really well. If you look back at some of the the other day, Nash Walker tweeted out that they have the second best ERA in the AL. When you think about it, Chris Archer has been playing at a pretty elite level. Not elite, but he's been playing really, really well. I think when you sign him, there's a little bit of hesitancy to be like, okay, is this what we need? But in the two games, he's looked very well. He's pitching... Sometimes there are a lot of command issues. That's the word. There's a lot of command issues with him sometimes, but for the most part, he's been giving you what you need. And I talked about it in the last pod. His his velocity's up a tick or two, and that's key. You talk about Dylan Bundy, who's been really good, two and zero to start the season, and he doesn't look like Dylan Bundy of 2021. He looks like Dylan Bundy of 2020, where he went six and three, and had like a three ERA in the shortened season with the Angels. Bailey Ober has looked good. Joe Ryan had a really good start the other day. And obviously you have Sonny Gray, but if he comes once he comes back, I think you have you're talking about a, a rotation of six players who can give you a win any given day. As much as we love to talk about Frankie Montas and all those other players, you have to think about it and think if it's even realistically worth it right now. The guys that are pitching right now are playing really well. And if down the line, that's something you probably cross that bridge at the trade deadline. With the way things are going, it's just not worth giving up a prospect or two to get Montas when maybe in a two months, Archer, Bundy, Chris Paddock, and all those guys are playing at an elite level. The starting rotation has been good. It's, the bullpen has been a little shaky. And we saw that last night with Tyler Duffy. He's just... Not that same picture we're used to seeing in 2020 and 2019. We saw glimpses of that in 2021. He had a really poor start to the season, and he finished. To give him credit, he finished pretty well. But we're starting to see more and more of Tyler Duffy becoming this player that is almost unpitchable. It doesn't even matter. For a while there, he was our high-leverage guy. You're talking about coming in in the sixth inning last night and giving up two solo shots. That's not even high leverage. I think Nash Walker put it pretty well. That's maybe middle leverage, if anything. He's His fastball's not there, and players are sitting on the curveball. He, I think Nash Walker pointed out really well. He's just not that... He, like he, You're not expecting... You're not expecting to go into an at-bat where Tyler Duffer's pitching and be like, oh shit, like, this guy's throwing heat. I got to sit back on this fastball like you like you would with Yohan Duran. Players, it's not that it's easy to hit off him now. And I think we're getting to the point where we need to maybe look at other options or find another role for Tyler Duffy. And maybe if he keeps pitching like this, you have to DFA him. But I have to look into that contract, though. I have to see. I'll have to double check and kind of update on that one later to see the logistics and if that would even work out with everything. So the next player I wanted to talk about was Max Kepler. He's been playing 
Well, as we all know, his batting has not been that great. He's since that 2019 season, he's not been the same player. This season, he's batting 167 with an on-base percentage of 286 and a slugging percentage of 278. And as much as we'd love to see Max Kepler go back to that 2019 season where he hit 36 home runs and was hitting 250, we just haven't seen that since. In 2020, he hit 228, and in two, sorry, in 2021, he hit 211. And as much as I think that Max Kepler, his offense has obviously not been great, his defense has been really well. It's not really. It's been really good. He's one of the better defensive right fielders in the league. And if he can just give you an average play at the plate, I think you're talking about a guy who is worth the money. And statistically, sure, his batting average isn't great, but I think, I think it will come around, and I'm still high on Max Kepler. If you look at his baseball savant 2022 MLB percentile rankings, there's only two categories in which he ranks below average. That's barrel percentage and outs above, outs above average. Other than that, he's performing great in average exit velocity, bad start, sorry, strikeout rate, chase rate, sprint, slugging, hard hit, whiff rate. It's just a matter of time, I think, before he finally puts it together and says, all right, where I'm hitting it right now isn't working, but maybe if I can tweak something here, that'll go as for a base hit. And I think we're starting to see it a little more. In his last couple of games, he's kind of been one of the more catalysts, I'd say. Last night, he had one hit, but then you go back to the Boston game, he had another hit. He's getting a hit every other game, and I think those are starting to come around eventually. You know, he's hitting the ball really well. It's just going to the defenders. There's a lot of plays where you're like, that's a really nice hit, but it went right to his glove. And my biggest thing for me is I think eventually, if you look at it, I think he will come around because the shift does really play effect on Max Kepler. Let me find it on Baseball Savant here. Sorry about that, but... If you look at this, if you look at if you look at the shift statistics in percentage of at bats in 2019, 72.1% of his at bats were due to a shift. In 2020, it was 95.9. 21, it was 91.4. And 2022, it's a 95.2% of his at bats. With no shift, his on base percentage would be a lot higher. You're talking about. You're talking about a guy who could be hitting 250, 260 without all those shifts. And in 2023, that's going to be gone. So maybe he keeps showing you positive at-bats and you go into next season feeling decent that he can maybe show you something. I think 2023 will be the key to Max Kepler. I think we've seen what he is with the shift. And I'm hoping that without the shift, you can kind of go back to where he was prior to those things in 20, 2018, 2019, where things kind of started to get a little dicey there for him on the shift. But let's talk about the Minnesota Vikings. The draft is in a week or so, and I want to talk about two more players. The last two pods I had kind of, I had kind of talked more about like position-wise, where I think Minnesota needs offensive line and cornerback help the most. However, this one, I think we just I just wanted to go over like two players that I think would fit the Vikings bill. And that first player is Kyle Hamilton. I don't know if he would necessarily fit. Not sorry, fit. I th- I don't think he'll necessarily fall to Minnesota at 12. And Paul Allen talked about this on the other day on his radio that the Vikings are talking about moving up to 4. And at 4, Kyle Hamilton is probably going to be available. And if Minnesota can get a guy like Kyle Hamilton, they're getting they're getting one of the better safeties in NFL, and I feel really confident about saying that. He's got incredible size at 6'4", 220. You're, that's a guy who's lining up to be a linebacker, a defensive end. And if you watch a lot of his plays, he's lining up all over the field. 
you know, that kind of body size is perfect for covering tight ends. And you got Harrison Smith back there and Kyle Hamilton. That's going to be a recipe disaster for a lot of offenses. I mean, good luck trying to get through both of those guys. And for someone that's 6'4", 220, he's got great speed. You'd think he'd be a lot slower, but he's he's not. He's faster than you'd expect. The one knock on his speed is it does take him a little bit longer to get accelerated. But for a guy who's that big, has speed once he gets going, and he's really physical, I mean, you're talking about one of the best modern-day safeties in the NFL. With that speed, he can make up a lot of ground and cover end-to-end. He's got good cover skills, and you can bring him up to the line of scrimmage and use him as a defensive end, or even in blitz packages. He's got great hands as well. Three interceptions last year and eight total in his three years at Notre Dame. As I said before, he's really physical. He's a good tackler. A lot of his hits are either he's just crushing offensive players or he's wrapping them up perfectly around the ankles. And as I said before, you can play him pretty much anywhere. And I think Minnesota would love that flexibility in a 3-4. You can put him down on the edge. You can kind of disguise him in a blitz package and then have him fall back. You can line him up as a linebacker. You can play him deep at safety. I mean, you're talking you're talking about a guy who's just a difference changer on the defensive end. There aren't really many cons when you're thinking about Kyle Hamilton. The one thing that really kind of sticks out is his knee injury. He missed, I think, the final five games of his career. And anytime you're talking about a knee injury, there's good cause for concern there. And as I said before, he doesn't have that quick burst right away. But he has great speed to make up for it eventually down the down the field. He's not great at man-to-man, but he also didn't play much of it at Notre Dame. And I think in the NFL, he'll get more of an opportunity to learn and experience different coverages and find out what and how, like what, what to do in man-to-man coverage. Because in, in college, they're not trying to switch things up. You, they're going in with the same game plan pretty much every week. And if you have, if he doesn't have that many plays in man-to-man, it's hard to say that there's much of a knock on him when he doesn't really have the experience. I mean, overall, you're talking about he should be a top five, top eight pick in the NFL draft, and maybe he'll fall to 12. There are some mock drafts that show it, but overall, I think he's a great prospect that you'd probably have to trade up to get. You know, he's He can pretty much do anything you want him to do. In 2019, his PFF grade was 79.5, which ranked 58th out of 528. In 2020, it was 76.7, 63 out of 524. In 2021, it was 76.1, which ranked 114 out of 748. Granted, yes, it did go, his ranking got worse, but so there's a lot more, there's a lot more players that were added to that group. It was 524 last year, 748 this year. So if you do the math, it's about the same. Here's a direct quote from PFF. At 6'4 and 220 pounds, Hamilton is a modern hybrid defender who can do whatever is asked. While he missed Notre Dame's final five games with a minor knee injury, he came down with three picks and three pass breakups in his first set. In it, sorry, three three picks and three pass breakups in his first seven games. The next guy I want to talk about is Trayvon Walker, and this is not a guy that you would draft at 12 unless you see something that no other scout or NFL team is seeing. But this is a guy that you can get maybe late first round, early second. The potential is off the charts. And it starts with his size. At 6'5 and 272, you're talking about just a beast of a man on that defensive end. He utilizes he utilizes his speed, strength, and long arms to get past linemen. And he's good at getting a full head of steam to get his way to the quarterback. As someone, for someone who's 6'5 and 272, who has that much strength, that much speed, he's going to cause a lot of issues for offensive linemen. The only issue with Trayvon Walker is he's a project. But as we've seen before in the past, Minnesota isn't really afraid to take on those defensive end projects. They love finding those guys who are built different than everyone. They're faster, they're stronger, and then maybe retooling some of those things and playing with what they have. You saw it with Daniel Hunter and you've kind of seen, you're kind of seeing it with DJ Wanham. Now granted, it's not the same staff anymore, 
but I would I th- I still think that Minnesota would love to have a guy like Trayvon Walker on. He also lacks flexibility, and his technique isn't the best. Essentially, you're essentially he has the ability to become an elite edge rusher in the NFL. If you can improve his technique, then everything will work out. He's still got a long way to go, but he will be a boomer bust prospect. And I think at the early, I think maybe late first round, early second, I think you're, I think you're really getting a lot of potential there. Not to mention the fact that he did get six sacks last season. And I think, and I think that should be highlighted. In 2019, he finished with a PFF grade of 56.9, which was no rank there. In 2020, he had a 70.0 grade, 213 out of 530. And in 2021, it was 70.8, 322 out of 824. Directly from PFF, Walker is an elite physical specimen for a 6'5", 275-pounder who even dropped into coverage this season and managed a pass breakup. He's still figuring out how to rush the passer, put... You can't teach what he has. I mean, for me personally, if you can get another asset and find a way to draft this guy late first round and groom him into one of the an elite pass rushers in the NFL, I think it's a move you got to make. But that wraps up our draft profile coverage for the year. And I really appreciate you guys for taking the time to listen. The draft takes place on Thursday, April 28th. So in next week's episode, I'll be doing a little small mock draft. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But anyways, that wraps up our fifth episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.